Hi, I'm George Boldarki, and this is Cityscape. Our guest today is a social justice musician who uses hip-hop and visual storytelling to educate upcoming generations. He goes by the name of Fuchs. Fuchs is from Gary, Indiana, but he now calls New York City home. He joins us to talk about what brought him to the Big Apple, how he arrived at his stage name, and the message behind his music. Fuchs, thanks so much for taking the time to talk with me. Yeah, thank you, George, for having me. I'm happy to be here. So you are Bronx-based, but you are not Bronx-born. Where do you hail from? I'm originally, I was born in Gary, Indiana. Um, Moved to Nashville, Tennessee when I think I was eight or nine years old, and that's basically where I spent majority of my life up until 2015 when I moved here to New York. What brought you to New York City? Chasing the dream, you know, music, uh, and I'm Nashville's music city, but I think there's this whole thing about hip hop music um, in Nashville that I didn't really see it being a long term move for me. Um, so I just kind of been, it was either between Atlanta, Georgia, cause Atlanta's always got a lot of hip hop going on. Um, but I just felt it was too close to home. I, I wanted, you know, a little bit of a bigger move. Then there was LA. I thought about LA for a while, music industry, major city. It just really wasn't my vibe at that time. And then as soon as I came to New York, um, I got an interview. I met with people. I had friends here. It was vibrant. You know, I really felt the energy of the city and it, it definitely had me from that first visit. So um, it, it just felt like my home. I'm curious to know what the hip hop scene is like in Nashville, because, of course, Nashville is known for country music. There's so much uh, diverse music in Nashville, period, because if you really think about the history of Music City, it was soul, rock, blues, gospel, etc. But now it is known as this hub of country music. But there's a ton of amazing hip hop artists there and they're all hungry. They're all really dope. It, the sound I would describe is very eclectic. Any two hip hop artists you come across in Nashville aren't going to sound alike. You know, we all are kind of genre blending. Um, it is a really great place for it. I just think um, as far as upward um, mobility, I guess, for lack of a better term, when it comes to whether whether it's getting a record deal or trying to make a career out of it, there's not as many opportunities. There's not as many. Uh, there's no dedicated hip hop clubs. You know, people have tried to do it. It's really hard to, you know, perform on a lot of nights of the week. You really have to make a, a, a huge effort of a push of like multiple artists try to get a sponsor. And there are people that are doing it and, and it's it's growing. Um, so, you know, kudos to them for that. But I think for what I was trying to do, you know, it just seemed a little bit too difficult. So how have you and your work evolved since moving to New York City and settling in the Bronx? So, so, so much. Um, I graduated from Belmont University in 2011, which is a, a their biggest major, most popular one is music business. And they're located right next to Music Row. A lot of us get music business internships with a lot of labels or publishing companies and such. Um, so I was definitely looking for more of a traditional music route uh, when I was going there. But as soon as I graduated, my first job was as a teaching artist with an amazing organization called Southern Word. And it was teaching uh, poetry to middle school and, and high school students. And that really planted a seed. 
And um, that was one of the reasons I was able to move to New York um, was because I had references doing that kind of work. So it really has just amped up my work as an educator, really. Um, one of the organizations I'm with, DreamYard, uh, they've been, you know, instrumental in my life here. They're exclusively in the Bronx. So um, it's really kind of centered my focus as education, teaching artistry, and social justice being a focal point of what I do. Because for a while, I was trying to keep both separate. I really had my, you know, artistic dreams on one side, and then I would go into classrooms. And, you know, I was Mr. Harold in my classes, I was Fuchs in my music. And, you know, the, the students are amazing. If they like you, they'll look you up. So they would find my YouTube, they would find my videos. And, you know, with conversations and writing curriculum with teachers, I started realizing I had a real opportunity here to make songs that I could use in my classrooms, that I could, you know, use my lyrics as part of lesson plans to, one, to be an inspiration to them and show them, you know, there's not one or two things that you have to write about, have to rap about if artistry is something you want to do, but also just for me to kind of consolidate what I do as an artist I think it's all encompassing. My music has always really spoke to all ages. It, it really has always been really positive, really upbeat and uplifting. So to have that kind of focus on something that can be used in classrooms or education or really just have it on on Saturdays or in the car on a road trip or something, it's really helped to rein in what I do and why I do what I do. So what are among those songs that you are bringing into the classroom? What are your messages in those songs? Yeah, I think first and foremost is black empowerment, you know, pride and culture for um, how we grew up, for our ancestors. Um, and, and there's this idea that a lot of what I learned in school was about slavery. And then I learned a lot about um, some key figures like uh, Harriet Tubman, uh, Martin Luther King, Rosa Parks, and even W.B. Du Bois. There were a few people here and there that are just instrumental in, in black history and black culture overall. But for the most part, a lot of that uh, knowledge came from my home or came from church or came from conversations with other educators. You know, there's a wealth of knowledge out there that I'm still learning and uh, one thing I like about making songs like these is I do a ton of research before I release it. So some I, I might know, some I'm, um, you know, hitting up other educators, asking them, trying to find scholarly articles, et cetera, to make sure I get the facts right. So it's really just bringing forth this whole encompassing view of black history being American history, being world history, being just important and vital to the culture outside of just slavery and having these images of black joy, of excitement, of accomplishment, um, because I know for myself, if I knew some of those things in school, those are the things that would have inspired me. It's, it, it is really about showing the full story and just exposing them to things that they might not be learning in their uh, existing curriculum. You have a brand new song out celebrating black women in history. Tell us about that song. We're about to take a trip and travel through time. And learn about some ladies that changed all of our lives. Yes, yes, yes. So, so excited about it. It's been out um, since January 18th, released it on Martin Luther King Day. 
And um, it's a song just like the title. It's about black women in history. It was just to do that exact thing I talked about, shed some light on some unsung heroes, some women in history that maybe haven't gotten the shine, but really go back in history. We got some people from the 1800s and even go to recent, you know, with Kamala Harris and um, Stacey Abrams and Dr. Kismekia Corbett, who's who helped create the uh, COVID-19 vaccine. So to really have a song, um, you know, to to really a full encompassing and and just a drop in the bucket of maybe a starter conversation, you know, for whoever's listening to maybe get you to think about some new uh, women that you haven't heard of, but also some classic ones who you have. And I was able to feature the amazing artist Reese Palmer. She's an amazing singer. Um, and then also Snook Nook. She does a lot of kids music as well, but she she has a really big career. You know, she wrote for a lot of amazing people as well in the industry. So I spoke with them um, at the end of last year and we kind of talked about it and we were really excited. And um, it's called Black Women in History. love to the queen rosa parks who didn't give up a bus seat but real talk there were so many women who did the same thing like claudette coven she was only 15 arrested because she demanded respect and refused to be told her life was worth less ida b wells had a similar tale many years before rosa parks went to jail one of the founders of NAACP, born a slave, she was freed in 1863. One year later, Rebecca Crumpler, first black woman with a medical degree. Jane Hinton and Alfreda Webb, first women African-American veterinarians. Fast forward 2020, Dr. Kinsey helps to create COVID-19 vaccine. Black women in history, black women in Now, I understand that you are a distant relative to Fannie Lou Hamer. Now, that's a name not everyone may know as well. That's very, very correct. My, uh, my dad's side of the family, his mother's maiden name, so my grandma, her last name was Hamer. So we grew up knowing, you know, you're related to Fannie Lou Hamer. You're related to Fannie Lou Hamer. One of my uncles helped uh, make a Black History Figures book when I was younger and gave it to all the people in the family. And he highlighted her name. So it's, it's definitely a point of pride for our family. Uh, so I grew up knowing about her. But she is one of those people that's kind of at the top of the list when you talk about unsung heroes of women and she was very instrumental in voter rights in the 1960s in Mississippi and even ran for governor uh, at one time. So she was definitely a powerhouse. Your songs also focus on fatherhood and you yourself are a father raising a daughter. Yes, yes, my, my baby girl, Aura, she's three now. What do you focus on when you talk about fatherhood in your music? <sighs> the, the song that comes to mind is a song uh, called Aura. And it's the one that I've gone most in depth about fatherhood, and I really love it because I wrote it a few months before she was born. 
so it's really a raw take on all of these feelings that I was feeling about about to become a dad. You know, how I felt my life changing, how I, you know, was getting excited. Also, the challenges of, you know, I want to be a disciplinarian, but I also want to give her all, you know, the exposure to whatever she wants to do in life, make her feel like she can do anything she wants to do. So I really kind of captured all of those emotions surrounding me i need my cipher complete 360 degrees keep my circle tight check the radius because my future looking bright just like the radius best thing my father passed down was gospel and jazz music to cleanse the soul and masses of the craft so i show my daughter cold training fred hammond introducing to new legends like kamazi and chance i feel her soul is creative through her mom's belly we see her dance as she hears her daddy's jams and mama playing Chopin, but my heart is heavy because the world she coming into. She don't face president, black life's value shoe. We might lead a country by her first couple years. She might grow up in Amsterdam of friends. Speak Dutch, French, and Spanish. Learn Mandarin from Grandma Jing Lee. Learn sign language from my mom, Denise. And it's cool because all of those things I talked about in the song definitely have rang true. And really, it was goals that I kind of set for myself. And I really just do believe and know kids pick up on the things you don't say that body language they definitely you know it's the non-verbal cues a lot of times and patience is required you know i'm i went to a one of the birthing classes and the woman who was leading it said you know this is the last time you'll have enough time to do what you want to do <laughs> and that freaked me out and it was so true it's so true now it's just about finding those little pockets of time, you know, whether it's after she goes to sleep, you know, while she's eating a snack on her iPad. But she really is um, showing me balance in a lot of ways in every way. You know, it, I don't want to be gone from her that long. You know, sometimes I have to be, you know, given the nature of my work. But for the most part, just really instilling in her this, this really close father-daughter relationship is, is something I definitely feel. And I'm very grateful that we have a great relationship and excited for what the future holds. Every parent says, you're gonna miss these years, you know? <laughs> and I'm in the thick of it now, but um, you know, I, I understand that. I can definitely get that because time has already been going by really, really fast just in these three years. Speaking of the nature of your work, how have you been navigating being a musician in a pandemic? It's very interesting. Um, thankfully, because of teaching artistry, I'm able to have consistent work. That's the first thing. Um, I wasn't really sure coming out of the summer if I would still be teaching because, you know, schools with different budgets with what's going on. But I think schools have made a really good adjustment from what I've noticed to really trying to amp up how they're doing these Zoom calls, how they're teaching virtually. Some are doing, you know, part remote, part in person. Um, but, you know, schools have been doing a really, really good job at making sure the best that they can to try to keep engaging these students in this time that I don't think any of us have experienced and especially students, but even us as educators have an experience. So that's the first part of it. And then the next part as an artist is kind of related to the school as well, being able to do a lot of these um, virtual assemblies and, and virtual shows, um, being able to perform uh, with you all show on Zoom for the Martin Luther King Day. There have been a lot of opportunities. I'm about to do a uh, 
uh, asynchronous video lesson on how to rap with the Kennedy Center. There have been a lot of different opportunities that have come out of nowhere where I think organizations and companies are really kind of pulling together to keep things, uh, I guess, fresh or just keep them moving. I, I guess just really keep them moving. Um, but it, it hasn't been easy. I've just been navigating and trying to look, you know, us artists, we talk amongst ourselves. I'm on a lot of email groups. We we send each other opportunities. A lot of the festivals I used to perform at were either canceled or went fully virtual. I'm thinking of MAGFest, Music and Gaming Fest as one example. Um, so, you know, still just kind of figuring out. But from my end, it's it's been a lot of in my living room with the speakers turned up, jamming out <laughs> in the chat rooms, you know. Have you collaborated with other artists to produce music? I thought there was a song called Just Woke Up that came out of the pandemic. Yeah. I just woke up, jumped up out the bed and early Just Woke Up was a really cool song I did with a, uh, a producer by the name of Drain Puppet, who we've done songs before. Um, I've done some experimental electronic, blended with hip-hop music for a while, um, 2016, 2017. So that's kind of like um, a throwback to that kind of sound, this heavy electronic slash hip-hop blending. And I think that song, I wrote it before the pandemic, and it was one of those songs that... I didn't really have a place for it yet, but um, as soon as the pandemic hit, it kind of made a lot of sense to put it out because it's just really positive. It's just about waking up in the day, you know, uh, after a hard time. It could be a metaphor for coming out of a, a deep darkness in life, a sadness and depression. It was kind of all of those things. This was when I was still navigating, you know, how I was going to find work, how I was going to pay rent, what was exactly going to happen. You know, people left and right were getting sick, loss of life of loved ones. Um, so this song really spoke to that and I asked friends of mine to send me video clips of them experiencing joy and moments of peace and serenity. So I was really happy to put that positivity out into the world. Yeah, a lot of your music focuses on spirituality, love, positivity. Is there another song that stands out to you most that you wrote sort of feeling yourself through a difficult time? Whew, ah, there's so many of them. I would name a couple. There's one uh, that is like a remix of a, a TV show theme song that I put my own spin on. This was uh, the show Adventure Time. Adventure Time is a cartoon that, that covers all of those themes as well. Um, it's a show for kids, but, you know, a lot of these animation shows, they're perfect for adults as well. Um, and that song is, I titled it Lonely. So it's kind of dealing with those feelings of loneliness coming out of that um, and also looking at the positivity through that. And then the other song that comes to mind is a song called I Still Believe in Love which was a song that I wrote, um, kind of being ready to date again, you know, being ready to put myself out there again, which I think is a big milestone. I still believe in
you know, not everybody's in that place. Um, I'm definitely enjoying single life <laughs> first and foremost, but you know, that was a song just kind of announcing to the world, you know, I'm, I'm ready for love. You know, I put it out on Valentine's Day of last year and it was received well. One of my biggest singles of last year and one that a lot of people felt. One of the biggest comments I got was, I'm not there yet, but hearing this, you know, makes me feel like I will be one day. So I think that's great. And now I know, I know the kind of man it takes to love a woman whole. I still believe in love. What's Shining Star about? Tell us about Shining Star. Yeah, Shining Star is a song, uh, I think I released it in 2017, 2018 maybe. Um, and the chorus is, baby you my shining star, baby you my shining star. Just talking about a deep, deep love for someone that surpasses galaxies. I really discovered and tried to explore these themes of, you know, first off, my name is Future. It comes from Future. So I love talking about time travel and thinking about this idea of soulmates, thinking about this idea of, you know, love in this life. Does it go into the next? Is it from a past life? And this idea of Shining Star is, you know, a cosmic interstellar love that that expands planets and goes for eons and eons you know just such a deep connection that is beyond anything in this physical realm that's basically what the song is about as you said your name is future it comes from future you actually used to call yourself future there's a bit of a longer story in terms of how it came to future right <laughs> there's such a long story there so Future was my original rap name when I had a band um, in high school and even through college and such. And I remember in, because I, I went to a music business college, so we're going over trademark, copyright, patent, and the teacher is just saying, this is why you need a name that you can trademark. You don't want to use a common word. And literally the day or the, the week he said that, somebody messaged me and said, congratulations, oh my God, I heard your song on the radio, it's blowing up. <laughs> just like that is not me that is not me so then started this process of this identity crisis where I'm just trying to figure out what I should do because at that time I you know I hadn't achieved as much in the music industry and in entertainment at all but it just felt like it was this world shattering event so I kind of switched up the name to Future the Artist. Hopefully that would be enough, but definitely wasn't. And went back and forth about changing the name and ended up getting a little bit of press about it. You know, if you looked on Billboard.com or you looked on All Music, it was funny because the artist Future, his profiles would be up, but it would be my picture. So it was that intertwined on the web because I was pretty good at SEO at that time. So if you typed in Future Artist, Future Rapper, I would come up in some way. So there was just this time where everything was pretty mixed up. Um, I think like on Wikipedia, a bunch of other stuff was like half referencing me, half referencing him. So I had an article, there was an amazing journalist, her name's Kathy Andaly, and she did an, art, an article on MTV.com about artists with the same name. And she put both of us in there. And I think that was like, you know, that was great for me. After that, 
I thought I could move on. So I started going by Fuch after that, which I just had to figure out a way to spell it. And then a friend of mine actually came up with the spelling of it. And it was cool because a lot of people, you know, just like any nickname, had already started calling me Fuge, Fuge. So I figured it, it was a, a great transition, which I saw a guy when I first moved to New York. And um, he, I told him, I introduced myself. I said I, my name was Fuge. He was like, oh, my God, did you used to go by Future? <laughs> so that was all I needed to hear. I was like, okay, there's a few people out there that remember, that remember that time, that era in my career. That being said, Fuge, what does the term future mean to you? Yeah, um, I think I, I like to put it like uh, the amazing artist Pierce Freeline, who's also a, a, a Durham, uh, Durham, North Carolina city councilman right now. He's a big Afrofuturist. And I think in a lot of ways, that's kind of been the direction that I've been headed with this fascination of technology, sci-fi, um, and also just black empowerment at the same time. It's kind of, I view history as always repeating itself. You know, there are cycles that we're able to notice. Um, and I think just all of those things kind of infused in one kind of just makes sense to me. I've always, I used to have a high top fade hairstyle, you know, in the 2000s, which was a throwback style, which the hairstyle eventually came back. So I like this idea of pulling from what has happened to produce what will happen. And it just kind of seems like, you know, the, the cycle of life. You also made a name for yourself with a web series. Tell me about Futology. Futology, I started that on YouTube right after my daughter was born, literally the week after. So the first episode was announcing her birth, basically. And it lasted for, I think, about a year where I was putting out a uh, an episode weekly. And it covered everything from social commentary. Uh, there was a lot of comedy. I did parody spoofs of songs. And the series went viral for one or two episodes, specifically one where I um, I parodied uh, Kendrick Lamar's song or a few songs on his album and called it Country Kendrick, put on a country hat. And people thought I was so serious. It was it was a spoof. Well, people took me as serious, like, who is this dude? I shot it like an infomercial. And it ended up getting on World Star on MTV TRL. They mentioned it. People were calling me like, "Dude, I just saw you on TV or whatever." But they thought I was dead serious. There were a few articles that that wrote about it and such. And um, this was just a really cool way for me to start exploring my uh, my. I guess hobby as a content creator and videographer. It's really how I got good at video editing. A lot of the videos I put out online now, I either film myself, I either edit myself, I use Premiere Pro. So I kind of learned all about green screen, um, you know, keyframing, color correction, all that. And it was just a passion project that I was doing for fun. But it really showed me the power of putting out things consistently because you never know. You can't really plan going viral. But I've learned a lot of tips about how to title videos, when to come out with things, how social media works. So it was a great training ground for me. Let's go back to Gary, Indiana for a moment because you've been in the spotlight for a long, long time, Fuge. When you were six years old, you won a citywide speech contest and began gaining local popularity as a public speaker shortly after that. It's so true. So some of my earliest memories in Gary are speaking. My mom tells me, you know, they say I would fake talk. 
you know, so I would have conversations with them as a toddler, just like really thinking that I was saying something. So they noticed that uh, I guess that was a gift and talent of mine. So my mom and my aunt Marie, um, who's unfortunately not with us anymore, they started writing speeches for me. And I would memorize these speeches and say them at church, at events, at school. And that kind of caught on in Gary, um, which, you know, is a, as Parliament Funkadelic calls it, it's a chocolate city. You know, it's, it's a city with, with a lot of history, a lot of pride, a lot of black culture. Um, so to see this young kid talking about, you know, the words of MLK, to talk about uh, politics to talk about the national deficit and how we can improve it at a young age and uh, I do remember them going over the speeches with me like this is what this means so I was never just talking about anything I didn't understand but it was you know part of my education in a lot of ways so that was how I started gaining notoriety in the city I even spoke uh, for the mayor at that time at one of his events um, and then they had the citywide speech contest that I have, you know, very faint memories of it's just like a standing ovation after I give the speech receiving the trophy. Um, but, you know, shortly after that, we ended up relocating to Nashville, Tennessee, but that definitely stuck with me just as far as stage presence goes, as far as that that comfort of being on stage is sometimes I say I'm a little more comfortable on stage than I am in one on one interactions, you know. Did you aspire to be an artist? The artistry came first as a love for music that just kind of is in my family. My dad, uh, he's a saxophonist. My grandpa, he was a trumpeter. Um, and I didn't really, I picked up an instrument in maybe middle school or so. There was always a love of music. It was always, always around the house. I remember asking my dad, play happy birthday. And he would know how to play it on saxophone. Play, you know, twinkle, twinkle, little star. So I eventually picked up an instrument in middle school, and I think uh, shortly after that, I was listening to a song on the radio and just started kind of rapping. And from there, it just took off. I started writing rhymes about football and basketball and sports and, and girls and all of that and um, just kind of connected with some people. And I think it became an official goal, I would say around eighth grade, ninth grade or so. Future, we're just about out of time. Is there a song you want us to go out on? Something you want to leave us with? There's a really great song by me and the artist Morgan Bossman. She's one of my favorite singers, and we did a song called uh, On and On. A big thanks to music and social justice artist, educator, and content creator, Fuch. More information about him at fyutch.com. And that's it for this week's Cityscape. I'm George Boldarki. My thanks to producer Maddie Bristow, and thank you so much for listening.